Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of Life Beyond the Numbers and this episode is going out on Saturday, May 27th, 2023 and I am delighted to say that finally the sun has been shining for a week now, (laughs) in the UK at least and it's just been amazing to see the sun and feel the heat after what was quite a long drawn out winter and every living thing is responding. I mean, the place is green. There are so many shades of green. It's just phenomenal. And there's flowers everywhere, beautiful colours. The bees are buzzing. The birds are chirping. Everyone seems to be in good form. I can't speak for everyone, obviously. But certainly the people I've come in contact with this week, everybody has been delighted with the weather. And earlier this week, I sat down to plan out this episode and prepare it and get ready to record. And I was going to do some reflections on episodes that went out this month. So we had that wonderful episode about slowing down with Gianna, episode 126. And then Kerry talked about the performance paradox in episode 127. And in episode 128, Anna and I were talking about alignment. And there were some really powerful takeaways from all of those episodes. And I was buzzing after all of the conversations. And to be honest, I generally am. But one of my intentions is to be a bit more intentional about some of the takeaways because there's so much information in these episodes and I want to start incorporating things into my life. So I did that work and then I was away for three days co-facilitating a corporate away day team building get together event and I was there with a wonderful Helen Joy and we had three days with such a brilliant group of people And there were over 40 of them. The weather made a difference as well because we were able to take people outside. When I got back, I couldn't find the work I did anywhere. (laughs) 
Honestly, I have no idea what I did with it. It is going to turn up at some point because they were handwritten notes. They are around. I've rummaged through everything to no avail. So I always learn to be prepared to throw your plan out the window. So that's literally what I've done. Well, I haven't thrown it out the window. I've just lost it. But I guess I had to say, well, is there a reason for that? Why? And what I came up with actually is an opportunity to speak about something else that happened this week. During this event that we were co-facilitating myself and Helen, the company brought in a motivational speaker on one of the mornings. And this was a guy called Derek Redmond. Now, I'd never heard of him before. At least I don't think I had. And I'm not sure if you have or not. If you're British, possibly. But he was a 400 metre sprinter in the 80s and 90s. And he represented Great Britain 56 times. He broke the 400 metre British record twice. And he was a key member of the relay squad, the 4 by 400 metre that won gold at the 1991 World Championships in Tokyo. But his career was overshadowed by injury. And in 1998, at the Seoul Olympics, 10 minutes before the heat, he had to pull out due to injury. And he described himself as the fittest injured person in the world at that time. (laughs) Failing the Seoul Olympics in 1998, he set his sights on Barcelona in 1992. And... His talk was about that time, the 1991 to 1992 time, mostly. And he he has a saying that sport is a business, business is a sport. He sees them as intrinsically linked and the skills of one can be translated to the other. And as a person who loves sport, I totally buy into that and always saw those parallels there's something about sport about pushing our limits having the courage to try things failing and getting up and doing it again and discovering our own inner strength because often the strength or the skill it's about practice it's about that showing up isn't it and trying and trying again and oftentimes at work we're expected to just hit the ground running I like the way that's running is there as well. Whereas we can't be expected to start a new job and know exactly what to do. We have to build up that muscle. And I'm always taking parallels from sport. And so it was wonderful to me. I was in my element listening to Derek. And also he was just the most down to earth, wonderfully inspiring speaker. And it captivated us throughout his talk. He built his talk around teams, change, adapting and resilience. And of course, there were takeaways in that for any part of our lives, I think. And while I probably won't do his talk justice, there are a few things I really think are worth reflecting on. And I hope that you get something from this. 
So first he talked about his team and the importance of having a team and being part of a team. He said, you might think that as a sprinter, it's an individual sport. And so why do you need a team? But he was surrounded by a big team. I think there were like eight or nine different roles on the team. So he had a coach, an agent, a physio, a flexibility coach, a sports psychologist, dietitian. There was a whole host of people. He even had his dad on the team. And the sports psychologist was a guy named Brian Miller. And Brian was in charge of team engagement. And it was interesting because he said 30 plus years ago, Brian was talking about things like empowerment, self-motivation, involvement, personal responsibility, voice, alignment. So they haven't really changed these things that we talk about. And yet still, engagement at work is such a huge topic. If 80% of people at work are disengaged, then we still have a massive engagement problem. It's funny because we understand engagement and yet we still can't seem to bring in that engagement into the workplace. Derek himself said, as far as he was concerned, that high engagement promotes and develops high performance and that skills are irrelevant. It's engagement that makes the difference. Brian, the sports psychologist in charge of team engagement, had a weekly meeting of the team to talk about the three R's. The three R's were roles, relationships and recognition. So not only did Brian see the importance of each of them understanding their own role, but also understanding the roles of everyone else, which meant that they needed to have relationships with one another. And then there needed to be some recognition of progress or of struggle or whatever it might be. So every week they got together to talk about Derek with Derek in the room. And each member of the team would comment on or provide feedback, I suppose is a better way of of saying it, on his performance during the week, measured against a whole host of metrics like his diet for the week, his performance for the week, his attitude for the week. All of these things that made up the whole Derek, basically. And it was a holistic approach to performance and each member of the team had the responsibility to rate him out of 10. So if the agent saw Derek eating Burger King for example during the week then he could rate him down. So it was a collective approach where every single member of that team had to understand their own role, the roles of others, build relationships amongst each other, have the relationship with Derek and also the recognition on a weekly basis of what was happening and what was going on, which is a brilliant way to run a team, that every single member of that team is a key player. They're all important. And that was one of the things that Derek talked about himself because he said as a business performance coach, 
he works with different companies, but one of the groups he works with is a Formula One team. And he said, you know, when you, you think about Formula One, you think about the engine of the car and the power and and how that has to be the key component, obviously the driver and so on as well. But he said, actually, if this tiny little component, this electrical or software, whatever, goes, then the car is not going to perform at its best either. So every single member of a team is a key member. And the team isn't going to work without everyone doing their best. You're not going to get the best out of Derek unless everybody on that team is giving their best. He gave one example of when he was down in the dumps. So he'd been having injuries. He was preparing for the Olympics in 1992 and he was kind of fed up. And he went to the gym one Saturday to train with the flexibility guy or the physio and he was really fed up and he said everything was like you know how are you and the flexibility coach asked him how he was doing and he was fairly non-responsive and he said he was in a bad place mentally physically it was weighing heavily on him and unknown to him the flexibility physio guy rang his coach and said, hey, you know, I'm with Derek and he doesn't seem to be on top form. And the coach rang the sports psychologist and told the same story. And then later that day, the sports psychologist, Brian, rang Derek and said, do you want to meet for a coffee tomorrow? So they met for a coffee on Sunday morning. The sports psychologist asked him, do you know how many days there are to the Olympics? And Derek was like, no, haven't a clue how many days. Brian, the sports psychologist, took out a diary, handed it to Derek and said, count them. So Derek counted back from August 92 to whatever date they were in. And he said there was less than 100 days. Didn't remember exactly, but like 97, 98 days to the Olympics. And Brian said to him, "Okay." I want you to every single day between here and the Olympics rank yourself each morning on how you're feeling. And I'm going to give you two choices. You can be 0.5 or a 1. So you can be 0.5 or 1. 1 is you are ready to perform at the level required of you. And 0.5 is you're not. I really liked this, the two choices. You're not ranking yourself out of one to 10. You're picking 0.5 or one. You have two choices. You're either ready for action or you're not. And he said, the sports psychologist said to him, look, I don't care whether you do this or not. This is for you. And what I'd like is when we get to the Olympics in Barcelona, we'll sit down and we'll add up all the ones. Now, he said they never actually got to do that, but it was motivation enough for him to do this on a daily basis. And every single day he had to think about, am I a one? Am I ready to do this or a 0.5? And he said he was motivated to be a one every day. And when he did look back at the diary sometime later, there were very few 0.5s. 
So it was mostly ones. And he said something in that just helped his attitude to prepare for high performance at the Olympics. Before the Olympics was the Tokyo relay race. And this was fascinating because the British guys had qualified for the final and the Americans were the favourites and the Americans had a three second lead. Collectively, they ran three seconds faster than the British team had. Derek said that for a relay race, you always put your fastest runner in the last spot, the second fastest runner in the first spot, and then the other two guys just went in the middle. And he said, from the age of seven, this is how you always did relays. And that was just how everyone did it. They put the fastest runner last, the second fastest runner first, and the other two guys in the middle. And no one ever questioned it. This was just the way it had always been done. The team had had dinner together and they retired for the night. They were sharing room. Derek was in the room with one other guy and the other two were in another room. And about 10 minutes after they said goodnight to each other, there was a knock on the door. And the other two guys came in and said, look, we think we should change the order. We don't think we should run in this same order. Derek was going to be running in first place and a guy called Roger Black was going to be running in last place because he was the fastest at the time. The guy who was going to be running second wanted to run last. And he did because he said he was in the best shape of his life. He was so fit, he was fast and he felt he had it in him. And they wanted to put Roger Black first because they felt that if he went first, then that might set them up well right at the beginning. And then Derek would run second. The guy who was always running third would run third. And Chris Agabusi would go in fourth place. So they worked it all out and they agreed that they were willing to give it a go. They woke up a member of the coaching team and said, hey, you know, this is what we want to do. Blah, blah, blah. And the guy said, that's fine, but you need to convince the main coach. So they got the main coach, woke him up. And after a long debate about it, the coach was kind of like, well, look, let's try that next year at the Olympics. But for now, let's stick to the arrangement that we have. We don't have enough time to really work this through. And the guys were like, no, this is it. We're doing this. And the coach's response, well, okay, you can, but on your head's be it. Anyway, they ran the next day, four by 400 meter, and they won. And they upset <laughs> the world of sprinting. They even broke the national record for Britain and they took home the gold. And he said they were held up as pioneers for doing this, for making this switch, this you know, shaking up the order of things, not doing what had always been done. But he told a story about a true, in his opinion, sporting pioneer. And don't get me wrong, these guys changed relay racing and how teams put together a relay team. 
the high jump used to always be what they called a straddle jump technique. And then this really tall guy who wanted to be a high jumper couldn't do this straddle jump. So he came up with his own technique. And his technique was jumping backwards off the wrong foot and arching his body over the bar. Everybody kind of poo-pooed that it'll never work, it'll never take off. And he won gold in Mexico City in 1968 and started a revolution in high jumping. And by Munich in 1972, 28 of the 40 high jump competitors had adopted what is now known as the Fosbury flop. And the last time that the straddle jump technique was used at the Olympics was in Seoul in 1998. So this guy, Dick Fosbury, changed the sport forever. He wasn't a natural high jumper on the straddle jump, so he adapted the technique to suit himself and introduced this new technique to the world. That's truly inspirational. And I love how when people are confronted by a limit but still really want to be able to do something, they can disrupt the norm and make change and actually influence a whole sport. It's truly incredible. I looked up Dick Fosbury when I came home and sadly he passed away earlier this year. But what an innovator. So cool. And Derek interrupted his whole story to segue into that. But it was worth it. It was absolutely brilliant. Derek then summed up what happened in Tokyo to three things. Always be ready to not necessarily step outside your comfort zone, but expand your comfort zone. And I really like that distinction because we're always hearing about, oh, it's time to step outside your comfort zone. When did you last step outside your comfort zone? And at times it's like, oh my God, this is exhausting. (laughs) If I have to continually step outside my comfort zone. But actually by expanding our comfort zone, we're constantly pushing our limits. We're constantly discovering new things about ourselves because we're never going back. We don't actually achieve something and then go back and go, oh, well, I was over there in that other zone and now I'm back in my comfort zone. And it's a really nice way of looking at it. And then be prepared to do things differently. This is the way we've always done it doesn't have to be the way we're always going to do it. And he demonstrated that with the relay team and the changing the sequence, but also the Fosbury flop. And then the other thing for him was self-awareness, but also understanding the others on your team. And he said, you know, the, those relay team members, they were all individual competitors against each other as well. And while they weren't all 400 meter runners, they did run the 400 meters at times. And he said that they insisted as a team that they get together one weekend a month so that they could train together. And oftentimes their own coaches weren't really happy about this because 
they had a specific coaching strategy in mind. But Derek said if they hadn't worked together as a team and really gotten to know one another, that the night before the Tokyo World Championships, there is no way they would have trusted one another or known one another well enough to make that change. And the rest, as they say, is history. I just love those takeaways. I'd like to just finish by talking about what happened at the Olympics in 1992. Because he did make it to the Olympics in 1992. He won his first two heats and he went into the semi-finals and he lined up for the semi-final and took off and about 15 or 16 seconds in his hamstring popped and he played the race for us and this is absolutely gutting to watch I've left a link in the show notes for this so his hamstring went 15 seconds 16 seconds in and down on the ground he went and I mean the race is over in no time at all and then he realizes the race is over his shot at a medal is gone And he gets up and he hobbles his way to the finish line. And everybody else has finished running and so on. And there he is hobbling along and he's in pain. You can see it on his face. But he was determined to finish. And after a little time elapses, you see his dad running on to the track as well. And his dad comes along and puts his arm around him. And he said that his dad said to him, you don't have to do this, son. And he said, he looked at his dad and he said, I do. And the dad just propped him up and continued to run with him. And as you're watching it, you can see these officials and I, I've got like inverted commas and I changed my voice coming up saying, kind of clear the track, the race is over, blah, 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 the usual. And the dad is just like batting them away. And they cross the finish line and Derek just, he is just so visibly upset. And I can honestly say I had a lump in my throat and tears rolling out of my eyes watching this the other day and listening to him. And then he talks about how you just have to get up again. And the resilience, the determination, the drive. And that song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I just couldn't get that song out of my head for the rest of the day because if anyone can personify this, it was Derek. That was it. He had to leave the Olympics, get on a plane, get back to the UK and have surgery on his hamstring. And over the next 18 months, he had seven operations on his hamstring. Seven. It just kept popping, he said. And by the seventh time... The surgeon sat him down and said, look, I'm sorry, but this is it. You're done. Your athletic career is over and you're never going to represent your country again. And he said, yeah, he could accept that he was done, that his athletic career was over. But he said he just couldn't accept that he would never represent Great Britain again. That just bugged him. And I found this incredible. So he... (laughs) decided once he was recovered to become a basketballer and he actually played professional basketball for Britain and then after basketball he moved to pro rugby 
and tried out for the British team. And after rugby, he went on and did motorbike racing. And after that, because he said he wanted to get out of the motorbike racing because it was only a matter of time before there was a serious accident, he felt, he went into kickboxing. And now he does boxing. And at the age of 53, he was undefeated after seven boxing matches. He hasn't boxed for a while now. But just the drive that this guy has to keep doing new things, to keep expanding his comfort zone, was really quite inspiring. And yeah, I guess he was encouraging all of us to dig deep and think about the things that we could do that it's never too late to change it's never too late to try something new and you don't need to get outside your comfort zone you need to expand it be prepared to do things differently and get to know yourself and have a team around you and whether that's your family your friends that can help you see what you have in you and encourage you to do more. And the other thing he said was that the smallest of changes will yield the greatest results in your performance. So continually making those small changes add up in the long run. And that was Derek Redmond's story truly inspiring go and read about him look him up or look up dick fosbury and the fosbury flop which certainly was anything but a flop it's summertime it's the perfect time to get out and expand your comfort zone do something different and get to know yourself a bit better And if you are having an upcoming corporate event, consider Derek or someone like Derek as a motivational speaker because the parallels between sport and what humans can achieve when they put their mind to it and the workplace, I think, are phenomenal. And that whole team approach, that holistic approach The three R's of roles, relationships and recognition and the importance of engagement is as true for an athletic team or a rowing team or a rugby team as it is for a team in a workplace or an organisation. So that's it. I hope you got something from this episode today and I'll be back at the end of June. (laughs) Obviously, the episodes, maybe it's not obvious, but we will have episodes going out every Saturday during June. And the fourth Saturday in June, I'll be back with a solo episode, all going well. Until then, take care. And wherever you are in the world, I wish you a wonderful week, month, quarter ahead. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life 
who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.